Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I think I like Brian Harson now. Why is that? <laughs> that is where we're at. We have come full circle with this thing. Uh, no, if you saw what came out on Wednesday nights with Auburn essentially putting a rule in place that employees have to participate in all investigations and that if they don't, they could be fired, which was only started because of this this own internal thing that Auburn has created, this, this ruse, this coup to try and fire Brian Harson that whole thing was created. We find out Brian Harson stayed in Mexico an extra day and was like, no, I'm not coming back to get fired. And now Auburn is trying to turn around and fire him. Do you think he um, was as a, result little of that. Of, a little bit of beer in, uh, beer in Mexico by Kenny Chesney? I, I don't hate, I don't hate beer in Mexico. A lot of people will hate, this is a little side rant. A lot of people are gonna hate on kind of the, the 2000s Kenny Chesney and say that he just wanted to go live on a beach somewhere. And you know What's what? wrong with yeah. that? Exactly. You know what? I would love to see Kenny in concert. I know he takes it on the chin from a lot of different people and it's like, oh, that's not really country. It's just, it's yacht music, whatever. I get it. It's fine. There are a lot of Kenny songs that you could play for me right now and I would be taken to a better place in my mind. So I have this visual with Harson where it's just like a Corona and his cell phone just on silent mode with like 27 missed calls. He's just in there in the beach in Mexico, just living his best life. He's probably listening to some Kenny Chesney right now, living the dream. So good for him. I, I bet Harson's a big flip phone guy. Oh, buddy. Yeah, if there's, yeah. He, when they redid the flip phone, I bet he was like, all right, I'm wait five years and I'm gonna get a new phone. Uh, yeah, Harson and then the, the handshake and Stetson Bennett and then at, below it, flip phones. Yep. We could, we could see that tweet. Um, as of right now, we're recording this 2.53 on the Thursday afternoon, and somehow, some way, Brian Harson is holding on for dear life, and he is still the head coach at Auburn. Of course, we're gonna update everyone when we find out about that. But as of right now, that is all we know about this situation. That is basically the only update that we've had other than Brian Harson going to the meetings that they had SEC-wide in Birmingham, and everybody staking out, trying to just get that image of Brian Harson, and if he's got that post-Mexico hand going mm -hmm. for him. I personally was hoping that we would see Brian Harson show up to those meetings with a little bit of the, the Michael Scott, like the Jamaican. Yes. <laughs> Island Brian just rolls up with a bug goater. Just ready to go. We're gonna have a luau tonight, guys. Yeah, it's, everything's fine. You're in a great state of mind right now. Um, so we will have our good friend Matt Hayes on in a bit, hit on just a million different things as we always do uh, with Matt. But before we do that, oh, and then by the way, we have a great subject in figuring out because in case you forgot, Super Bowl, it's happening this weekend. So mm -hmm. we'll be talking about the Super Bowl. So before we do all of that, I, I admit, Mock drafts, a bit of a guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. They are, whatever, I'm a human being. I like football, I love football. Why wouldn't I click on a mock draft? It, no matter who it's from, all the, 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 the six, seven different experts on NFL.com that come up with different mock drafts. Yeah, I click on the majority of them. I can admit that, I'm, I'm okay with that at this point in my life. Post Senior Bowl, we're getting all these mock drafts that have been coming out and oh, this person talked to this person, all these different things. 
We haven't talked a ton of draft on this podcast just yet. Got into it a little bit the other day with Cole, but I wanted to dig into it a little bit more. And I, I put this out there as sort of my my early reaction to the reactions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we have to react to the reactions, I think, in this business. That's what we like to do. There's a bit of this person needs more respect. There's a bit of this person is maybe getting too much respect. And then there's just things I think of as I look at these things. So it's not definitive one way or the other. These are just the things that I find myself going back to whenever I kind of very quickly skim through all 32 picks of a mock draft. So these are, I think those are kind of the, the basic ways to, to look at a mock draft and what I've at least formulated in my mind, these, these thoughts that I consistently go to. Okay, that, that was a wordy enough way to explain that. First one. I get mad when I see Traylon Burks not as wide receiver one. Mm -hmm. Seeing a little bit of the Garrett Wilson thing. Some still like Jameson Williams despite the injury. I would have said that before the Jameson Williams injury. I just think that what Traylon Burks did this year was so unbelievably impressive. We've talked about him a ton. Go back to his freshman year, Chad Morris. Uh, you know, obviously that, that was, of course, going to be a little bit slower. We've now had the results of the Chad Morris era and the lack of productivity from those receivers and the passing game in general. Actually, just any human being that had to participate in a Chad Morris offense should be given a break, and that should not be held against them in the court of law. He's somewhere losing high school games right now. That's how bad the Chad Morris experience is. I've been meaning to check in on his high school team. How are they doing? I, I don't know, but the last update I got is they just got blown out. It was like, usually when you hire the name in high school, it's like very easy to win. No, no, this guy isn't the name. Well, it's a, it's a transition year. All right, let's okay. give him a little bit of time. Got to hit the portal. Out. Yeah, hit the portal. You know what? Texas high school football is no joke. So let's, let's give Chad Moore some time. But sophomore year, Traylon Burks. He gets to play in an actual offense. He becomes an all SEC guy, a true number one receiver. In my opinion, he was the best receiver returning in the SEC going into 2021. In junior year, of course, another new quarterback, his third in as many years, something that we probably don't talk about enough. He loses his number two receiver, Mike Woods, who kind of somewhat inexplicably transfers to Oklahoma. No big deal. Traylon Burke still becomes one of the best receivers in the country and has insane production for an offense that really didn't throw a ton with KJ Jefferson, though they made the most of those opportunities. The highlight reel catches are insane, but I, I love that he does the dirty work and he can make the unspectacular catches as well. He can line up anywhere. He can get open against any sort of coverage. He's tough as hell, which we saw during that Alabama game, especially where he's out there playing a nine side kick and he's got the Will Anderson thing that happened with him at the end of that game. But dude is just a warrior. And I think he just loves football in a way that might not always come across, but I think that when he gets out there, there are just few guys who can actually contain him and shut him down. Somewhere a Georgia fan just said, what do you do against Georgia? Yeah, I realize you're you're all no generation No one did defense. anything against Georgia ever except that one Bama game and like half of a quarter against Heupel. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I... I would love to see Burks as the first receiver off the board because it would validate my belief that he can play in any offense and shine. I'd love to see him go play for a team that already has two outside guys so that he can essentially play in the slot. We'll see teams that maybe think they can stick a linebacker on him or like some small slot corner and we'll just watch him dominate matchups. I, I think he'll run better than some expect him to at that size, 6'3", 230. That's been kind of the reported numbers we'll 
see what he ultimately clocks in at, at the combine. But I, I think he'll become more of a consensus wide receiver one after the combine. For now, though, that's kind of why I have him in this like this this general range. And you know, I I have gone out on a limb. I think three times since I started this job 2015 during the pre-draft process saying this is my top receiver off the board. I don't care where they end up. This would be the guy that I would take first at that position. They are. And you'll get a kick out of this. Mike Thomas. DJ Moore. And as many OG listeners of this podcast know, if you're listening to this podcast two years ago, you know this to be true. Justin Jefferson. I'm adding Traylon Burks to that group. I just think he's gonna figure it out. I think he's that guy that can go in and make plays immediately as a three-year guy in the SEC and somebody that has just had so, so much success despite the fact that he's had a lot of different moving pieces around him. Any more thoughts on Traylon Burks? Um, yeah, no, I, I think he's awesome. I'm glad to see him shooting up draft boards. It seems like the the Ohio State guys were kind of like slotted lazily at the top. And then as more coverage started to come out, they started to fall just a little bit. I mean, Garrett Wilson is kind of still like the consensus number one. But like you said, I think the combine would, would matter a little bit. Traylon's a little bit bigger than him. But he's three inches taller. Once they get the measurables in there, that those things tend to get expanded, especially if a guy has like more length. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I think that he's the guy I, I would... I mean, I mean, there's no shot he falls to the Saints. I, I actually would love Wandale on the Saints, weirdly enough. I think that he'd be Ooh. great. I think he'd be a great pairing with Michael Thomas. I think that'd be nasty. But yeah, I think that if you're looking for a number one receiver, no one quite has the Trillian Burks track record. That's just like, I played in a horrible offense with a number one receiver. I played in a running offense with a number one receiver. I played in a good offense with a mobile quarterback and been the number one receiver. Like, it, it you know. We love our thick king at Arkansas, but to think about the the difference of a year they could have had without him, I, I think it's stark. I think he was a star this year, man. In the conversation for one of the most valuable players in all of college football. Mm -hmm. I absolutely think that's that's the case. And I can't wait for the combine when we get all the, the graphics about his hands. That's coming. You know that's coming. He's got bigger hands than everybody not named Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, that, that, that's pretty. That's going to be shown. We're going to get a whole lot of Traylon Burks hand stories. That's going to be coming. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another thought. Taking Derek Stingley in the top three would terrify me. Just <laughs> absolutely terrify me. And fun fact, if he goes number three overall, it would be tied for the highest we've ever seen a cornerback come off the board. It's kind of crazy. Even Charles Woodson was only number four overall when he came out, despite him being just so unbelievably decorated. And we don't need to get into a conversation about him versus Peyton Manning for the Heisman Trophy. But it just kind of goes to show you. And you probably don't even know the top two corners who, who have like gone that high in the draft. If, if I said that to you just off the top of your head, any idea? The top two corners that have gone that high? Both in the draft? went number three overall. Oh gosh. I remember seeing one that went four the other day. Um, oh, you got to think about guys. that are just freaks. Uh, was champ Bailey that high? Not even man. No. Who was it? Jeff Okuda. Right. But back in uh, that, what was that? 2019? I think it was yep. 2019. The lions. I remember that. Yep. And then Sean Springs. Hmm. That's it. That's it. Top three. So if we're talking about Stingley in that group, man, that's just, it's, it's interesting because if you flipped his career and if 2019 were his pre-draft year and those, these past two years, 2020 and 2021, which were just kind of lost seasons for him, where he could really stay healthy, dealt with yeah. personal issues. Like if you just flipped that, 
we'd be talking about Stingley. Like, yeah, you better take him number three overall. What are you doing if you don't? Right. But it's almost like because we've seen these last two years, those questions creep in. And if I'm drafting a corner at number three overall that high, I'm assuming he's my lockdown guy for a decade. He's a perennial all pro, all those things. And Stingley might end up being that. Like, I'm not ruling out that possibility. For the majority of his career, I would have bet on that exact scenario. Maybe he's going to get right. He's going to turn back into the guy that we saw in 2019, who was quite frankly, like one of my favorite college players I have ever seen in person that year. He was that good in every single time time you went you you're you're watching him you come away thinking wow that guy is going to be special in so many different ways and i don't know if i had ever seen corner quite like what he was that season i just think that's such a huge roll of dice when you have two years worth of data where you're just like eh, it's not like it was just one lost year it was two he only got targeted 35 times after his freshman season that's really not much of anything I mean, goodness gracious, some of these, some of these guys, it feels like they get targeted 35 times in a two week stretch. I mean, it's unbelievable. I felt like his freshman year definitely was the case. He got targeted, I think more than anybody in all of college football. So if you just want to look at that and say, well, it's not like he was getting gashed every single week and it was more of the injuries, the lack of targets like that. That's fine. I get it. And I'm not even doing the interceptions thing, which is so overblown with some of these guys. And it's a bit of the reason why there's this discrepancy with the Trayvon Diggs conversation right now with him allowing the most yards and coverage of any cornerback in the country, according to PFF or in any quarter, any corner in, in the NFL on our wise country. But I'm just not quite there with Stingley as this top three prospect. I would rather see him kind of go later in the top 10, go where JC Horn went, go where Patrick Sertan went. Is that fair? Or should we be looking more so at his upside and saying that he's worthy of a top three pick. So yeah, the thing about Stingley that honestly worries me, and like you heard me on here capping for him, you know, after the 2000 season, um, he's obviously a great talent. The thing that worries me about him is he's got some quit in him, man. And the, the teams at the top of this um, draft are like historically really inept teams, you know? Like obviously, you know, Jacksonville's pretty much out of the conversation, but these next couple of teams, Detroit, Houston, the Jets, the Giants, like out of those, what do you feel good about the Giants? Kind of, because they have a new regime in Dable, right? Like that's the smart team out of that group. I've seen a lot of mocks with them going to the Jets and I was like, I don't know how long he lasts with the Jets. Like, I don't, he seems like a guy who would like demand a trade or like start to like, like, cause if you're a DB, you can't take plays off. You can't like pout, you can't, like if you're a receiver, you can kind of do that and just kind of like, hey, don't target me. Like, I'm just gonna kind of like, you know, do whatever over here. But yeah, like if you're a DB on the Jets, like you're going through hell. You're really like, you're gonna be out there, it's gonna be cold. The other team is going to be scoring a lot and you're gonna be getting picked on and judged by the New York media. And I think that weirdly enough, if he embraces that and like kind of like, like Houston's a little bit different of a situation. They're just kind of like a wild horse, like a wild bull, just out there running around. No one really checks in on them. Uh, so he can kind of do whatever he wanted over there. So a lot of people have fun in Houston. That like Jets Giants, back to back is tough. If he gets past that, or like if he if he gets kind of sucked up into that, he could be a guy that a lot of people off rip wouldn't like him because he sat out a couple of seasons. They have a lot of old school yep. media guys over there. And that those could both be pretty bad destinations for him, just to be honest. I, I really am fascinated by where he ends up. And if he slips, I could see a scenario in which he slips and he's outside of the top 10 and we're seeing all these shots of him in the green room. And it's like, oh man, this is, 
this is just not the way that we would have envisioned this going right. even a year ago. Like there's, there's just no way, but we now have the majority of his college career did not end up the way that we were hoping. He still has a chance to obviously correct that and become an awesome NFL player. And I wouldn't necessarily bet against that. It would just really worry me in that top three. Mm -hmm. Okay, other thought. Nicobe Dean is the safest player in this draft. Hmm. Okay. If I could bet on one prospect in this class to be one of the best players in at his position into his early 30s, Nicobe Dean. That that is maybe with the exception of San Diego State kicker slash punter Matariza. Maybe. I guess if we want to include him in that category, that's what that we thought about a certain Florida State kicker at one point. I remember. Uh, which guayo are you talking about? <laughs> Roberto. I remember people were like, oh, wow, this guy's a generational prospect. And then, nope. Uh, Horizons, I mean, like, he's going to get drafted day two. That's, mm -hmm. that's my prediction. He's a game changer, man. He can kick field goals. He can do, he can punt at 81 yards. This guy's unbelievable. Free roster spot, man. Come on. Yeah, true, true. So, I mean, that would have been such a peak Raiders pick, except for the fact that they they have Carlson, so they're they're probably not going to go in that direction. But somewhere, Al Davis was like, just get him on the roster. The ghost of Al Davis just advising terrible draft picks. Yes, yes. Um, I think that N'Kobe Dean, and you might push back on this. You might push back. I think he's Devin White 2.0. Hmm. I really do. All these people talking about N'Kobe Dean having short arms, He's not tall enough. I, that is such draft garbage, in my opinion. Like mm -hmm. it, him falling deep into the first round, where I've seen many have him mocked, would be a classic case of overthinking things. I, I don't buy this notion that it's all about edge guys. If you want those difference makers, and it's a little bit more system dependent, if you're one of the inside linebackers or something like that, his range is just. It's absurd. It, we've talked about it so much, but mm -hmm. in going to these games, these last, I, I mean, this last year, seeing him in that role, and I, I think I saw arguably his two best games because I saw the interception that he had, the pick six that he had against Florida, mm -hmm. and then the clip that's gone very, very viral of him covering the ground the way that he did in the Orange Bowl. And when you see that developing and you see him take off at that speed, you just realize that you can't teach that stuff. Yep. And that will absolutely translate at the next level. I, I think that um, we're gonna start to see once the interview process starts, all of these unnamed front office people are gonna say that there are concerns about Nicobe Dean, which is gonna be this weird thing because he's kind of the, he seems like the perfect kid. Right, <laughs> and That's gonna come that? out of nowhere. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was the uh, All-State Good Works team captain. like. Yeah, had him on this podcast talking about that very subject. I was about to but say, what's the bad press that he's getting? I, I haven't seen that. We're going to see this because smokescreen season. Mm -hmm. That's that's what it'll all be about. Because like, once you sit down with that kid, you realize that he was raised right. He's got such great perspective. You could easily see him as the face of a defense. I think there are going to be some, some owners, scouts, whatever, back into the first round who would love to see that guy fall. And instead, it's gonna end up coming out like, no, nah, we probably shouldn't take a pass on this guy. And he's gonna end up going, hopefully, middle of the first round. I, I get like injuries and stuff like that. It happens and it could happen to him. I just 
just feel really, really strong about him becoming this yearly Pro Bowl guy with the same franchise who drafted him. Mm -hmm. Is that is that fair? Am I overthinking this or am I underthinking this? Um, I actually don't hate the Devin White comp. The thing that's weird about Devin White is, so he is just a little, he's like a bullet bill for Mario. The way he's built is absurd. So he's six foot and weighed 237 at the combine. And that was kind of worrisome until he ran a 442. Uh, so he he kind of had that Fournette in him where he was like huge and swole, but also very fast. If Dean runs well, I think he's a lock. Like that, that, yeah, like that's the thing. You know what I'm saying? Like we've seen his range. We've seen that type of stuff. He's like the only linebacker listed at 6'1 on even like the first page of like CBS's draft site. So like he's small. He's not, he's not this mountain like Devin White. Small. small. But, um, <laughs> uh, but he's not a mountain like Devin White. But I think that he's definitely strong. He's definitely nasty. And I, I, I definitely think like, I think it's a good comp other than just like the muscle mass. I think he's fast. I think he's stout. He can play the run. He's smart enough to like read the pass. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a safe pick. I, yeah, I, I think that whoever ends up with him is going to be looking up a few years from now. And maybe he's not exactly on the level of like a TJ Watt or something like that. And I realize they play different positions, so that's not a perfect comp. But mm -hmm. TJ Watt was one of those guys coming out of college where I'm just like, wait a minute. He just got to go to the Steelers. The Steelers just got him. That's just not, that's not fair. And after yeah, everybody was wrong about his brother too, that was the best part about him. It's like, okay, we'll give you a free pass on the Watt that played tight end for a minute. The other one, hold on. Dude, he was, he was ridiculous in his pre-draft season. I remember seeing him in Wisconsin mm -hmm. a couple times that year and seeing the impact that guy made, and he was, he was tremendous. Um, all right, it's another thought. I am more skeptical about Charles Cross than most people are. Freakishly talented player for his size, had an awesome year on that Mississippi State offensive line, didn't allow a sack in pass, in pass protection, all those different things. Tons of teams need a left tackle to protect a young quarterback. So I totally get the market. It's there at the top, something that we got into with Matt Hayes as well. But I saw, I think Seth Galina, I think that's how you pronounce his name, mm -hmm. um, of PFF. He had Charles Cross at number one overall. I've seen others have him in the top six. In the draft? Hold on. Yes. In the whole draft? Okay. In the whole draft, yep. And I, I'm not there. And some, I think there's, there's a bit of confirmation bias working here. A lot of the way too early mocks last year had him slotted high, real high. And then with how good of a pass blocker he was this past year, as good as there was in all of college football, uh, that, that sort of confirmed what a lot of people thought going into this season that he had major potential. And it looked absolutely like he lived up to it. Kudos to him for being able to make those strides. Nothing against him there. But I also think it's worth remembering that there's a hundred percent chance that he is going to be blocking in a completely different offense than a Mike Leach air raid offense. Is there? Why? You think? Yeah, yeah. Just, just a thought. Throwing it out there. That's how long he's coming back and coaching the NFL. I don't know. Until Mike Leach moves the NFL, that's what they're not telling you. <laughs> Great point. Great point. Well, I should have considered that. Why is that significant? You might ask. The guy's pass protecting. You're going to be pass protecting the NFL, of course. That's what you want in your left tackle. You want to be able to figure that out. He's going to have to run block a lot more. Right. Pretty much no matter what. He made great strides in that area, but still, according to PFF, only 200 run blocking snaps. So that's not really a big sample size this past year. 
it's also easier to run block against the fronts that MSU would see. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it's easy to pass block nearly every play. And if anything, it's probably the opposite. We talked about how much offensive linemen would much rather be consistently run blocking and having to pass block and basically, you know, be be on the defensive as as much is is a difficult thing to have to master. Mm -hmm. But Mississippi State saw a ton of three man fronts with drop eight coverage. There's not that same sort of chaos with the way that teams send pressure at you. Like get that occasional guy coming in from the next level. Maybe a spy is going to come down. You got to pick him up, whatever. And you might have to deal with the, you know, a stunt, the line scrimmage, something like that. But for the most part, you can pretty much focus on that matchup with the dude across from you, and maybe a, a you know you're getting an occasional tackle that you gotta that you gotta be able to account for. So that's why I'm a little bit skeptical because if you're drafting someone like Cross at number six overall, it's it's to be a day one left tackle, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that's why you would draft an offensive lineman that high. And that's obviously the toughest position to play on the offensive line. There's a case to be made. It's the toughest non-quarterback position to play in the sport. It's not that I'm doubting Cross and, and think that he won't be able to make that transition. I just don't necessarily think that some are accounting for what that transition might look like playing with more chaos in front of him mm-hmm. at a higher speed, obviously, in the NFL. Fair? Yeah, I mean, it, like, it's interesting because, like, they kind of break it down by, like, true pass block reps versus, like, you know, play action, misdirection. Like, so there's, like, different kind of grades on tackles or just offensive linemen. And I'm sure it's obviously a mountain in, in one direction. It's like, I'm sure he has had more true pass block reps than like uh, some people might have in their- Oh, it's not even close. It's like some people yeah. might have in their NFL careers. Like he might've had, and and really quick note on that. I remember Andre Anthony did a series on Twitter for LSU football at the beginning of last year. And he was talking about how they would kind of set up their moves on the defensive line. And like, they would, you know, kind of like, oh, not take plays off and be like, oh, like, let me try to throw some stuff that I'm pretty sure isn't going to work with this guy and see how he reacts and then build off of that. dude. He you know those like defense they're just pass rushers against mississippi state we're just like playing rock paper scissors before every step because it's like all right you want to do your move this time and then i'll do mine and then you'll yeah. do your like you know he got every compliment of moves like okay we're gonna fake to a stunt do this so i'm sure that he's seen everything from a pass block perspective but you're right on the other side of that it's like i don't know i mean if you're i hate to use the word nasty again like just it's such a such a platitude but it's like if you're nasty run blocking should be kind of easy as an offensive lineman you, you often get told that pass blocking is more technique more finesse more cerebral whereas run blocking is just a unless you're like in a zone scheme which like i don't know why that type of scheme would even take that guy but regardless unless you're like in a standard blocking scheme usually it's just like hey hat on hat go take that guy out so i don't know it, it, it's tough it, it really you gotta have a good development system Agreed. And, and for all I know, he's going to be really good in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. I just think he's going he's gonna to be one of those guys where he's going to go a little bit earlier. I'm kind of going to be like, eh, I'm not saying bust, but there's definitely some potential that those expectations might be a bit too high for him early on. Right. Another thing. Did we forget that DeMarvin Leal exists? Ah, kind of feels like it. I just told you how I think that confirmation bias worked in favor of Charles Cross it's kind of weird that the same thing didn't happen for Leal. This is what I mean by that. Way too early mocks that come out right after the NFL draft. They're basically looking a year into the future. Leal was a top 10 guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in a lot of different places that you would look, he and Kenyon Green both were. Leal went out there and had his best statistical season to date. 
and answered that question about whether or not he can be a true game wrecker. Is he gonna take over? Is he gonna get the sacks, the TFLs that you kind of need to see at that position? Mm -hmm. And now it seems like it's sort of rare to have him mocked as a first round guy. I saw Kuiper had him at, at number 30 overall, but I'm a bit baffled because one of the things I like about Leal is similar to Traylon Burks. Obviously very, very different position. <laughs> okay, can the we do this <laughs> Here's a comp for you. But I just think you, he's one of those guys you can stick him in a bunch of different systems and he'll find a way to have success. 3-4 defensive end, 4-3, he can kick inside a tackle. I cannot emphasize the importance of that, of this enough but I love that he never takes a playoff mm -hmm. where he's got to like go to the sideline, right? Like there, there, there's some bad film of him out there where it's like, oh, this guy's taking a playoff, whatever. They would have been better to bring somebody else in. I kind of like that he's wired that way where he doesn't want to leave the field. You do not see guys who weigh 290 pounds average 58 snaps a game. Mm -hmm. You just don't see it. That is extremely rare. And if you actually look at the snap counts of defensive ends, you want to get on PFF and look at the snap counts of all the, the highest defensive end snap counts there were in college football. And then you'll you'll see the outlier of his weight at 290 pounds. All these other guys are like 240, mm -hmm. 250, something like that. And he's there at 290. To me, that's really, really impressive. That's the high motor thing. We'll get that cliche out of the way. <laughs> and he did that as the best player on the number three defense in college football. You could find that clip of him from the clip of him was from 2020 I want to say of him just dominating Evan Neal so I don't want to see, see the, the talk about the lack of upside with Leal he's versatile I don't think he's a tweener in the way that some people have talked about him and I think he gets grouped in the in with some of these edge guys and even though he isn't like an Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau physically I think he's got a little bit of this Jeffrey Simmons to him Mm -hmm. where he should be valued more as kind of like a mid first round guy instead of maybe a borderline first round borderline first rounder more likely to be a second rounder just surprised to see that Leal has kind of slipped and it just kind of makes you wonder like all right is, is he have health issues is he more injured or something like that than what we've been led to believe I just don't really get that thought he'd be getting a lot more draft love at this time Every year there are guys that like all the college football guys are clamoring for and all the NFL guys are downplaying. A lot of the time the college football yeah. guys are right. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the time it's like I watch so many. And like you as an SDS guy, I'm sure get to watch the NFL totally differently because you've seen all these snaps of all these kind of like random guys on NFL teams. And some guys are obviously busts. Like there's no escaping that. But he's definitely like we might just need to do a, a team or like a list of guys that we think the NFL might just get wrong on. And they're going to they're gonna yeah. keep playing the way they did in college. And it seems like he's the guy who's gonna keep playing the way he did in college yeah I, I just think that he's he's somebody that could very end very easily end up in a situation uh end of the first round where he goes to a team that's really successful and they they have a, a couple of different spots that they can put him and he's gonna have a lot of success in the nfl another thing that i've noticed is that most mock drafts do not have roger mccreary in them and i think that's dumb i just think that's dumb i i, I don't really think that's the best analysis in the world um, <laughs> strong okay yeah but just just a thought that I, I continue to have and I'm not sure if you saw this will but Todd McShay called out Mel Kuyper for not having McCreary and Kyrie Elam in his first mock draft and Kuyper came out and said that he thinks sometimes SEC corners are overrated so basically Mel Kuyper is telling you that he thinks Roger McCreary is overrated interesting 
Oh, okay. Great hashtag analysis there. <laughs> love, yeah, that's even worse than what you said. It's like, yeah, hey, this whole anytime we generalize, generalize by conference, it's usually wrong. That's SEC corners are bad is such a terrible take. Yeah, just just weird. Um, and then the odd thing was is that so McShay calls him out, and then McShay comes out with his top thirty-two prospects and his top ten in every position. McCreary's not in the top thirty-two, and he was number seven among corners. Which, all right, so the guy that you just defended, you're then not willing to go to bat for. It's it's strange because Auburn fans know very very well how good he was in that secondary, highest graded corner in America, not just in the SEC, <laughs> highest graded corner in all of college football. Played eighty-nine percent of his snaps on the outside. He's a senior who got better every single year. I, I just continue to be blown away by this. And I'm I'm wondering too, if there's a little bit of this, this conversation about height with corners that comes into the conversation, that, that like comes into this draft world. Um, I think the, there are a lot of there are a lot of draft people who love to be able to see that six two. Mm-hmm. They love seeing right now these corners that are built like receivers. Mm-hmm. Six two two oh five, six one two oh five. If you're not 6'2", 200 pounds, and essentially built like an outside receiver, it's considered a major knock and you like can't be a first rounder. I was curious about this. So I looked I looked this up. Denzel Ward was the last corner sub six feet who went in the top 15 and that was four years ago which i push back on because there's like tradavius white jair alexander kyle fuller they're all sub six foot guys who were all pros recently so i i don't know if that's being held against them or, or how that works because mccreary's probably what six foot buck 90 something like that I think he's awesome. I think he can guard number two wideouts tomorrow. If you mm-hmm. drafted him late in the first round, you would be able to have that immediately. And I think that he's a guy that needs to just be getting more of that love. Um, Roger McCreary also found that clip of him 2019, press coverage, Jamar Chase, and Burrow tries to just give Chase a 50-50 ball. And McCreary just had this perfect read on it as a, as a sophomore mm-hmm. and picks off this pass. And that was a pretty key moment in that game, too, because it was like on the goal line right there. If yeah. You remember yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just he's quietly gone about his business and been part of a very talented secondary, no doubt about it, and has been, in my opinion, the best player in that secondary. I, I feel like I'm just slowly morphing into like a WJOX personality here, but I, I feel like he's underrated as well. The SEC is not getting enough love, Paul. But <laughs> no, because think of if you take a guy like this that just has off the charts football IQ, what's your worst case scenario? You get a really good nickel corner. Really? Yeah. You know and what I'm saying? Like that's your worst case. Outside. Yeah. He's, he's not even like a, you know, like at this time last year, wasn't Todd McShay still mocking Sean Wade in the first round? You're like, did you not watch the national championship? Did you not watch him struggle immensely in coverage? Right. I talked about that with my brother too. I was like, what, what are, what are some of these guys looking at with the slot corners and why I, I get it. You know, it's, it's not as attractive. It's a little bit more of a specialized position. You know, everybody's playing with extra DBs on the field now, but like, give me that guy that just shows for a long time that he could play on the outside against all this SEC competition. Right. Would think that's going to work in his favor. Matt Corral as QB1. That's my last thought here. Speaking of WJOX personalities, <laughs> a certain Cole Kubelik banged the drum for that the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying Matt Corral should be a top five pick. I am saying that if I were a team like the Commanders, that's going to take some getting used to. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. It's one of the only names that's truly worse than the football team. Congratulations on that, really, honestly. Yeah. Uh, if, if I were Washington or Pittsburgh, that that's who I'd want as my guy. Not Sam Howell, not Kenny Pickett, and not even 
I know, this is gonna pay me to say, not even Malik Willis. <laughs> I know, crazy, right? But again, as we talked about with Cole, Corral's toughness, his leadership, his ability to make things happen with his arm and his legs when the play breaks down, that's what separates him from any discussion, in my opinion, of him being this system quarterback. You're gonna see that thrown out there. That, along with his lack of size, is going to continue to be the knock against him. Some will say that he benefited from having Lane and Levy in his ear, which 100% true. He had a great college career and he had great people being able to kind of help him along the way. Mm -hmm. But I'd also say that if that were the case, you would see him struggle to to work through pro progressions and he would kind of look like a mess off platform which he absolutely doesn't mm -hmm. everyone knows that corral can do so many different things for you over the course of the game and he's one of those guys that if you have to, if you're watching your team try and bring him down or trying to defend against him most sec teams got to see how difficult that was somewhere arkansas just was let out a little hey what about 2020 or an alabama <laughs> fan just said oh, what about 2021 but I just think that he's so difficult to guard, and I think Corral would have been the clear QB1 had he not had the ankle injury that he, that he suffered against Tennessee that mm -hmm. kind of limited him down the stretch. He might still be the first quarterback off the board. I know the buzz for, for our guy Malik Willis is hot. I am not going to pour cold water on the flame that is Malik Willis. I would oh. never do such a thing. Oh, look at that double alliteration there. That's right. We would never do that. And I, Kenny Pickett's gonna to continue to get a lot of love as well. I just became such a Corral believer over the course of his career, and I think him recognizing his flaws when things didn't come easy to him will be a tremendous foundation for him at the next level. I want Matt Corral or Malik Willis going to the Steelers so badly. I really do. I'm not a Steelers fan. I don't really care what they do in a given week, but I just think that's, that, that's the thing that I find myself rooting for the most in this draft is one of those two guys to go to the Steelers. He's their quarterback of the future. Um, I, I want them to go to stable franchises with weapons instead of ending up somewhere like Detroit or Washington or something like that. Although I will say Corral and Terry McLaurin would be like 2020 Corral and Elijah Moore. McLaurin's so good, point. man. He's a stud. He's really, really good. And whoever gets to be the quarterback of the Washington football team commanders, We'll love throwing to that guy. But yeah. yeah, I've come all the way around. I, I have now settled on Matt Corral as QB1. Took me a bit to get there. I was a little bit, you know, sipping the pick of Kool-Aid for a while. I'm never gonna not sip the Malik Willis Kool-Aid. Still would love to see him go in the first round, but Corral is my my QB1. That is, those are the, yeah, seven draft thoughts that I continue to have reading so many mock drafts. <laughs> God, there are a million. All right, let's kick it to Matt Hayes. A ton of stuff to talk with our good friend about Auburn, of course, in case you haven't heard. We've got just a million different things, coaches. Urban, you brought up Urban. <laughs> Needless to say, Matt is not on board with my idea for Urban. <laughs> Wait for that. So, a little bit of everything. Here's our good friend, Matt Hayes. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Matt Hayes. Um, all right, <laughs> a lot of things that we're gonna get to today. Uh, I, I know you wrote about this first and 10 Saturday down south.com as I always say a must read extra points as well you do such a great job putting all this together we're, we're speaking at 9 43 a.m. on Thursday morning as of right now we don't have any sort of finality with this Brian Harson situation so keep that in mind if you're listening to this at a later date we'll obviously develop we'll, we'll keep everybody informed as developments continue there but what I want to ask about is the Brian Harson sliding door. 
the moment that could have changed all of this. And you've written about this, you've talked about this, and everyone points to the Tank Bigsby moment. If Tank Bigsby stays in bounds, how that could have changed getting to this wild, bizarre, unpredictable point, even for Auburn standards. What happens if Brian Harson just keeps Mike Bobo? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it's more, it's more Bigsby. I, I don't, I don't think it's as much as, you know, he doesn't have the SEC guys with him and it's, you know, he's, he's an outsider. I think it's more winning. Honestly, Connor, if Tank Bigsby stays in bounds, he's got an extended contract right now. I don't think there's any doubt about it because he beat Alabama and then they see, okay, well he beat Alabama. So he's got to be doing something right. And then, of course, you can't run somebody after they beat Alabama, although, you know, Tubbs won, what, six in a row over Alabama. They ran him after he lost for the first time in seven years. So, it's, I mean, it's just who Auburn is, man, at this point. And it's unfortunate, and I wrote about this because, Connor, there are some just really genuine salt-of-the-earth people at Auburn. I love that place. I love the people there. They're great people. And there's this small, tiny, minute faction of Terry Bowden called them jock sniffers who have a ton of money, who think they can do whatever they want. And they really give Auburn a terrible name. Because Auburn itself, that community, they talk about the Auburn family, that's reality, man. That's what it is. It's a great place. It's a great little town. I would live there. But, man, you've got three, four, five people that have, have done it and have used money for three decades, four decades, five decades to try and control what they want to control. And they've just sullied that place. And, and it's just, they've given it a bad reputation. Once again, here we are again. They, they ran out a guy, Terry Bowden, in, in five years, he won 45 games. His sixth year, he started one and five. He had a ton of injuries. He was told by David Howell that the AD there, that, that you know what, or I guess David was probably the SID there at that point, um, that no matter what, you're out. You're going to be fired. No matter what you do, you're done at the end of the season. So he wasn't going to deal with that. So he just quit. You know, and then, you know, Tubbs gets there, and then all of a sudden, you know, they try and hire Bobby Petrino while Tubbs is coaching. A little clandestine trip to, to get an, a, an offensive coordinator at Louisville. It's just ridiculous. Tubbs figures it out. He, he goes unbeaten. Um, you know, and then they eventually run Tubbs because, you know, of course, Nick's there, and, and, you know, they can see the writing on the wall. And once you get your, you know, your ass kicked by Nick once, uh-oh, uh what are we going to do now? And then they go get Chizik. And Gene Chizik, another great man, a great dude who is so much better than dealing with that garbage there. And, again, just that minute, minute group of people. I'm not talking about Auburn in general. Um, Gene goes there, second season, wins a national championship. Third season goes 8-5, and five, I think. Fourth season, they take a dip, and he's out. He's fired. You know, and then they go, they get Gus, and Gus goes in 2013. He takes him to the championship game. They're a drive away from winning the national title. Um, Gus beats Nick three times more than anyone has done in college football. And Gus gets run out. And Gus gets run because they don't like Gus and they don't like his offense and it's time to change. And here we go again. And, and this was the unique part right here. You got Alan Green, who was an outsider, not an Auburn guy, Notre Dame guy. Um, he decides, I'm going to try and take these guys on, the power brokers. And he wins. And he hires Brian Harzik. And literally 11, 12 months later, Tank Bigsby doesn't go out of bounds or goes out of bounds, doesn't stay in bounds, and here we are. Here we are, man. It's happening again. 
This dynamic that you talk about that has been well documented, we've been talking about it on this show for, for a bit now, and there's nothing new. It's just kind of seeing all of this play out, and we're seeing this in a more transparent way than, than ever before. But I do sort of wonder about what the, the, the exact specific moment was that more than one person said, this, this has to change. The specific moment in time, because as much as we point to that Wednesday of National Sign Day going 0 for 4, all these different things with Austin Davis, the way that it's played out with the transfer portal, all these things, what the specific thing was that that really made this a possibility, because we can talk about how all of this started with the Iron Bowl, but if there wasn't that thought then, if there wasn't this belief of, hey, we need to be able to figure this out, and we need to go in a different direction after just one year, then obviously that suggests that everything that happened after has, has changed all that. But I wanna know what, what this even would look like, what this even looks like on the open market, right? What this job is considered to be because there are so many different yeah buts about this job that make it attractive and terrifying. And I don't think people think of it, or at least coaches in this industry don't think of it as, well, I can get this massive buyout. Nobody has ever thought of the job like that. The list of candidates that you had, Hugh Freeze, Kevin Steele, of course, Matt Rule, Mike Gundy, just to name a few. Is this a job that people are going to flock to, or is this now an even bigger sign to the college football world of, hey, we've got issues here that go beyond just winning and losing football games? All right, so let's start with your first question. You, you, you wanted to know where did this start? Where did this begin with Harlan? It, it started, it began the day Alan Green won the power struggle. That's when it started. They, Brian Harlan, literally the moment he got there, he was on borrowed time, man. There was no way that they were going to let Alan Green beat them. No way. So eventually it was going to happen. And they now have found a situation where, okay, well, we're losing players in the portal, so clearly he's got to be a bad coach. You're losing assistant coaches, so clearly he's got to be a bad coach. It couldn't be that he's going in there like every single other coach in every single other sport, new coach, who has to like go in and get people to buy into what he's selling. And he's got to weed through malcontents. He's got to weed through guys who don't want to be there. And he's trying to build something. It couldn't be like that. It's got to be, okay, now we've got it. Now we've got him right here. Look, everybody's leaving. You know, the coach, assistant coaches are leaving. You lost to Alabama. He got beaten in the bowl game to a, you know, a Houston team. How could you lose to Houston? This is the way they work, man. Again, not Auburn. It's not Auburn. It's this little tiny group of people that have a lot of money. This is how they work, man. They attack you professionally, then they attack you personally, and then they attack your character and your integrity. And then they find a way to get you out. And what they've done, the latest thing, where they've added something to, I guess, to the university rules where – where if you don't help them in their investigation of investigating you, it's like the investigators of the investigators, right, Connor? Then you can be fired. It's unbelievable. And, and they actually, it's the best part is they actually think that's going to hold up in court. After all this nonsense, they have an attorney that's looking at them saying, yeah, this will hold up in court. Or they're just looking at them saying, yeah, we'll just draw it out for three or four years and you know, maybe we'll spend five, $5 million in legal fees. It'll be a lot less than $18.3 million, which, of course, is also backward thinking because once you lose – you're going to end up paying them the whole 18-3 anyway. So it, it's, I mean, their whole idea is to, is to put so much undue pressure and so much undue um, just social, uh, um, I guess the best way to say it is angst on you 
to where you just say, screw it, I'm out of here. Which is what Terry Bowden did. He said, screw it, I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with this crap. Which is basically what Tubbs did too. So it's, it's, you, you look at what they do and how they, how they react. It's the same playbook. Every single coaching change is the same playbook. And no one in the university has power over it. The AD doesn't. The, only, the one time the AD had power, the one time it worked, Alan Green, this is what happens. Literally a year later, they're trying to run the guy out. And they will. They will run him out. I mean, they're going to end up paying him $18.3 million, but they will run him out. And then now back to your second question, who wants this job? And I keep hearing people say, oh, Lane Kim is not taking this job. First off, he's got a better job right now at Ole Miss. That's number one. Number two, he's trying to get away from all that nonsense clown show that he was early in his career. He's moved on as a coach. He's a, always been a very good coach. He's now a, a much different type of CEO. He's not dealing with that crap. He's not dealing with those guys there at all. There's no way he's doing that. So don't think about getting him. Could you get you free? Yeah, of course, because Hugh's desperate. Hugh wants, Hugh wants to get back in the SEC, so you can get him. Kevin Steele's another guy you can get. You know, that's who, they, that's who the power brokers wanted 11, 12 months ago when, when Harzen was hired. So, yeah, you could get him. Matt Rule would laugh at that. He would absolutely laugh. He, no way he's coming. I don't even think Mike Gundy, who's been trying to get out of Oklahoma State for three or four years, would take it either. So I was just throwing names out there, man, at this point, because I, I think you're, you're basically down to Kevin Steele or Hugh Freeze. That's where you are right how desperate is Hugh Freeze, though, if he just got that new deal with Liberty? And again, like I, I understand it's it's a different set of circumstances here. Liberty is joining Conference USA. Everybody has speculated for a while. All right, this this is eventually going to happen. If it's not South Carolina, maybe it's Tennessee, maybe it's Auburn. Like, How many times are we going to keep bringing up Hugh Freeze and then look up and realize he's still locked in at his same exact job and doesn't really have these it's not like he's getting deep into the process, right? Like we're not even getting to these levels here where it's like, oh, he's getting rejected. It's always thrown out there as this first candidate and I'm guilty of this 100%. And then it very, very quickly goes away and then you don't hear anything more about it. To me, that that says a little bit more than like, hey, the Mike Leach thing that we had that we had uh, with Tennessee, with John Curry and that whole deal where we heard about the interview process, all this. Like how realistic is it to say that Hugh Freeze could be going to a job like that or any job in the SEC in the near future? Well, I mean, you have two desperate entities, honestly. You know? I mean, I mean, I guess Kevin Steele would take it. He's got a good gig right now with Mario, but it's a, he's a D.C. in Miami, so somebody's going to make you a head coach somewhere. And if you think you're the type of guy that can deal with those, that little small, minute group there in Auburn that runs the show, if you think you're a guy that can deal with that, I guess you would take that. I mean, I, I, I mean... I think the best shot for you is probably this job because they're both desperate. They both Auburn needs a coach. Hugh needs a Hugh wants to you know coach in the SEC again, and that's fine. I got nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing against that. But but whoever takes this job, guess what? You're eventually be it one year, be it two, three, four, five years, you're going to be in the same situation that every other coach is. That's how it works here. The playbook never changes, and that's what you know. It will never change at Auburn. This is who they are. It's so funny is. I, I see people like now, like in, in the Auburn media, writing about how, you know, joking about, oh, let's let Bruce Pearl take over. You know, the Pearl could, could, could get it done. Are you out of your mind? Bruce Pearl was named in NCAA allegations at UW-Milwaukee. He was named in NCAA, uh, um, NCAA sanctions at Tennessee. He got a three-year show cause order. He gets to Auburn, again, named in NCAA violations. This is the guy you want? And I know it's just a joke. But this is the guy they've set up as this great grand person who's 
can do no wrong. A guy who literally has cheated everywhere he's been. And I know you could say, well, it's different. It's different then. You know, you couldn't play players then. Now you can. And the guy lied to NCAA investigators when they asked him. What else is he going to lie to you about? If he's lying to investigators, what else will he lie to you about? So it's just that's the pervasive thinking right there at Auburn, Connor. That's the problem. And, again, it's not the Auburn family, the Auburn people, which, I mean, it's a wonderful place. It's those three, four, five, six people with all the money who think they can do no wrong. I asked this question a bit reluctantly because – for those who don't know, Matt hosts daily radio show in Jacksonville, 12 to 3, 1010 XL. Go check it out. Can we talk a little urban? Are you urbaned out right now? No, I'm never urbaned out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Let's talk urban. Let's do it, man. Where do you take the hey. orange out? Was that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, no. You know God, no. Ur- I don't want. Urban, urban doesn't deal with nonsense well, and I think urban is at the point now where. He's also desperate. There's no doubt about that. If he wants to coach again, um, but he doesn't deal well with nonsense like that, with, with a guy telling him, you know, this is what we're going to do or this is how we're going to do it. or You know, that's just not, that's not who he is. I'd be shocked if he would be interested in that job. At, he's at very, he's time, very big on alignment. He's, he's very big on alignment where everybody's in the same page. And in Auburn, there is no alignment. None. There's no alignment. There's the power brokers with the money and everybody else. Yes, agreed. And, and, and in theory, you would bow down. If you're the Auburn administration, you would recognize how accomplished somebody like Urban is. I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is by any stretch of the imagination even realistic that one, that call is made, and two, that call would be received. But in theory, a personality like Urban's with his background, you would say, we will give you all the power that you need, and this is the alignment that we will now have. But let's get away from the Auburn subject because we've we've beaten that into the ground here. Um, <laughs> has Urban has Urban coached in his last job? Because like I I think at this point he has. I think it's so much different than Spurrier coming back and taking the South Carolina job after the NFL thing didn't work out. Obviously Saban, everybody knows that whole deal. But this just feels different, and it feels like everybody is just kind of ready to be done with Urban. Oh, man, he's got an ego. And, and again, all coaches have egos. Some are, some are greater than others. This is uh, planetary. He's got an ego, bro. Could, could I see him coaching again? Yeah, absolutely, I could. A hundred percent, I could. I don't, I don't know if it's Auburn. He might take the Auburn job. Hell, I don't know. I wouldn't oh, think so. No. It, doesn't, it, doesn't fit with, it doesn't fit with who he is and what he's about. Um, but, yeah, I could easily see him coaching again, man, easily, because he's a highly competitive dude who needs that highly high competitive nature pushing him, and you're just not getting that sitting on a, sitting on a, on a dais at a you know, Fox or ESPN saying, yeah, I like this team or I like that guy. It just doesn't. I mean, I'm sure he was happy. He said he was happy doing it. But you're not you're, – that the juice that you have to compete – is not getting satiated by sitting there doing that. And I think that that could be a very interesting moment where he realizes, uh, I got to coach again. He's not coaching the NFL. That's not happening. You forget about that. That, is a, that was a one-and-done thing. That no one will hire him in the NFL. So it's going to be college. Um, and then you just you got to figure out, well, right, well, where's he going to go? What's, what's the best move? And, look, the way college sports is changing rapidly, uh, you know, we have no idea what the – 
conferences are going to look like. We have no idea if there's going to be an ACC conference in three years. We have no idea. Okay. So, so once we start to get a better idea of how many conferences are going to be there, playoff looks like, you know, three or four years down the road, is it too late then for Irvin to get in? Uh, maybe, maybe if he's going to go, he might have to go in the next year or two. I wonder, and I, I talked to this. I, I talked to Dave Pash about this. Um, Dave Pash considers Urban a friend, and he spent a good amount of time around him in the booth during that lone year in ESPN. And he said it was just it was really telling, seeing his mindset and the way that he kind of operated. And you know, I, I think this 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 job might sound a little bit out there for him, but to me, I almost see him stepping into like a Pat Riley type situation into this point of his career where everybody, everybody, if you remember 90s basketball, Pat Riley kind of transforming and being this like evil empire type of guy, like the old Mr. Burns from, from The Simpsons or something like that. And I could see a situation in which Urban, maybe it's not an athletic director, but that's the most, the job that I think would make the most sense for him at this, this stage in life where he could control so many of these different elements. And I, I know that he wouldn't want to necessarily deal with all the other things associated with being an athletic director and like all of the, the non-revenue sports and all that stuff. And like that's, that, that job is really, really difficult if you kind of think about the way that Scott Strickland and, and some of these ADs, Ross Bjork, go about their business, like Greg Byrne. And I, I think that Urban though, I can totally see him being in that, like I'm gonna be the mastermind, I'm gonna hire the right coach, and I'm going to go about this in that sort of way because, like, from an offensive standpoint, the game kind of passed him by, and he had to turn his offense over to Ryan Day, and that's kind of the thing that we don't really talk about as much. But could you see something like that for Urban in the next five years? No, not anywhere <laughs> in any shape or form. No, no, I, I, for for a couple reasons. Okay, first and foremost. What university president is going to hire Urban to run their athletic department? Knowing Urban's history of, of, what, of what has happened at his teams, like, why would anyone even, why would any university president even think that? Now, secondly, I don't think athletic director is going to, you know, float Urban's boat. I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's going to do anything for him. But if you're a university president and you see what happened at Ohio State, you see what happened at Florida where they had 30 players and six years arrested, are you really going to hire this guy to run your athletic department? Come on, man. No, no, never. No. Um, no, no. I mean, I wouldn't even hire him as a, as a consultant. And I don't think anyone would hire him as a consultant either. Um, I'm telling you right now, the whole Ohio State thing, I'm convinced that he was told – this is your last year, man. This is it. You're out. So you can, yeah. you can announce it later, but you're out. So it's, I, I don't even Ohio state. I don't think would, would do something like that. So no, I, I think if he's going to get back into college sports, it'll be coaching and it would have to be somewhere where the, the program is desperate to win. They're desperate to uh, get out of a rut. Um, they have potential. There's money there. Uh, you know, Auburn's a perfect example of that. Um, you know, in, in years past, it would be something like Texas A&M. Um, that's a perfect example of that as well. So there, there's, look, I could see it happening. I could see someone taking a chance as a coach, but never as an AD, man. I mean, absolutely, 100%, never. <laughs> Isn't there that I mean, you can't. I mean, Connor, you can't. There's, there's just so much, there's so much bad history. 
how could you sell that to your community? How could you, how could you literally sell something like that to your university community? We're going to hire this guy to run our athletic department. Oh my God. I can't, I mean, it would just be utterly laughable actually. Uh, I, and that's no offense to State Fash, right? Well, I think is a, a good dude. And I think he does a great job. I just, that's, that's never going to happen. Never, ever, ever. And I never say never about anything, but that I will say never about. Urban seems to have his finger on the pulse. So, um, yeah, we can just move right past that one. Um, of what? Of, look, of what? Of what? What, are the other, what pulse do the Matt, other thing on right now? Matt, that was, that, was a, that was a joke. That was an inappropriate joke that I was, <laughs> I that I was hoping you were going to pick up on. Look. <laughs> I did not. Um, let's... <laughs> Let's let's play a little game here. It's uh, I did, it's, I it's did, but I like I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I want you to buy stock in Miami or USC for the next three years. Just three years. You've now uh, seen the way that these both. hires have played out. You've you've seen you've seen how this quarterback situation is developing. I think both obviously have stud young quarterbacks, and we we feel a little bit better about where both programs are at. But same price, and you can buy stock in one of those two programs, what Lincoln Riley is building out in Southern California, or what Lincoln Ry- or what uh, Mario Cristobal is building in Coral Gables. Which which guy are you taking? Can I split the money you give me and buy both? What? Because Come I think on. they're what both. I think, I think they're crap. both. Get out of here. I I, I agree, but I think both, <laughs> I think they're both going to be really good. Um, if I, you're going to make me choose one, I'd probably choose yeah. USC because. Uh, I, I just think, look, we, we are in a unique climate right now in college sports and college athletics in general. Um, the NIL has changed everything. The transfer portal has changed everything. And if, if you're a student athlete and your idea is, look, I want to make some money while I'm doing this. I don't want to do all this for free. And then I may or may not make it in the NFL where I won't get any money if I don't make it. Um, I want to get my money now. If that's your goal, and that and look, and there's nothing wrong with that. I keep saying that, and I'm and I don't know why. You know, again, social media is the sewer of everything, so you can't really take it for what it is. But you know, you, you, that's where you get your instant reaction. So on social media, you see these people just crushing these young guys because they're they're signing nil deals and they're making much. So what? Well, I don't understand. I've never understood why people get upset at other people doing good for themselves. So. So let, let's, let's start with that, okay? These guys are going to make a lot of money, potentially can make a lot of money, the elite players, okay? What better place to go sell yourself, to go make your brand, strengthen your brand, develop your brand, than Los Angeles, than Hollywood? So Lincoln's got that going for him, number one, number one, and all the money out there, number two. Um, that's a start. It's also, and I've said this many times, and you and I have talked about this, I think USC is the best program in college football. I think as far as, as your potential to win, your potential to recruit elite players, uh, your potential to do it consistently, I don't think there's anything, anything like USC, especially now in the NIL age. Um, so you're in a situation where you can get players there because he's a terrific recruiter, because he has a track record of developing um, offenses, developing quarterbacks, and we all know the game is now an offensive game. Um, yeah, I, I see Lincoln Riley doing it quickly. I don't know about this year. They might win nine or ten games this year. You know, they got a lot of holes still, but that, the Pac-12 is terrible. So they could win nine or ten games. But I think you're starting to look like 2023, 2024 
where Lincoln's got that team not only in the playoff, but but they're a dangerous team in the playoff. So I would say, yeah, if you're going to make me choose between the two, and I love Mario, and I think Mario is going to he's going to lock down the state of Miami as, as Snellenberger used to call it, Dave Broward and Palm Beach counties. Um, and when he does that, it's going to be a completely different deal down there, especially with the the huge booster Ruiz, the billion dollar guy who's going to build a stadium for him down there on campus, which will change everything. So long term, maybe Miami will get close, but right now, if you're asking me to choose one, I would say USC. That that the Gaddis thing with Miami is so bizarre, and that's the type of thing that I think a lot of college football fans didn't really process the fact that the Broyles Award winner, the guy who was named the best assistant in all of college football, just left for the same exact position at Miami and left Michigan to do that after the Jim Harbaugh NFL stuff. It's something that hasn't happened since my guy Gene Jizik left left Tubbs to go to go to that Texas program and to work with Mac Brown. And then obviously 2005 Texas happens and they win a national championship. But I remember talking to Chiz about some of the dynamics there because that's I, I've asked him about that and we talked about that for, for a while about that specific subject of like what makes you leave and what what kind of pushes you in that direction because obviously like if you're if you're a Broyles, Broyles award winner you're supposed to become a head coach and that's just kind of what we assume the path is going to be the Gaddis thing is bizarre and i i've just kind of come to the conclusion that this is the byproduct of Harbaugh living in his own world and not really processing the way that his actions impact other people and thinking that he can go about this in his very specific way and not realizing that you just did something that was so costly and losing both coordinators as well. You finally got the right defensive coordinator in there and this happens. Well, how do you, how do you feel about this entire Harbaugh situation and the way this has played out and the impact it could have across the country? Well, let me first go back to Gaddis because I've sp- spoken to two different people, two different sources on this. And when, when it was apparent that Harbaugh was going to leave and everybody it was like a done deal and he's leaving and, just a matter of the interview and blah, blah, blah. Gaddis wanted the job. He wanted the head coaching job. And he got bad vibes from them about that. And, you know, if you, if you, see, if you see the text that, you know, became public on social media that he sent to players that, you know, you don't, you don't want to be somewhere where you're not well, where you, where you don't feel like you're wanted, um, you can definitely read into that. Okay? Yeah. So, and and I, that doesn't bother me at all. I, I think if, if, like you said, he, he clearly changed the way they do offense there. Um, he helped them become a, a unique level type college football team. Um, from, what I, from what I was told was he made it very clear if, if, if when Harbaugh leaves, and it was back then, it was before, before it all happened, it was, there's no doubt he's leaving, that he wanted to be considered for the job and he had a plan. Here's his plan, and it was not taken. It was not taken like he thought it should have been taken. So that's part of it. That's number one. Number two, go back to Harbaugh. Um, yeah, it was really hand-handed the way he did it. And, and, but that's kind of his personality. It's kind of who he is. He's a very insular guy. He's a very, okay, I'm going to do what I do, and you guys just figure out what you got to do with me. And if you don't want me to coach you, then that's fine. I won't coach. And that's, that, I'm telling you right now, that's the way he was thinking if you look, I'm going to try and look into this NFL job. And if you think I shouldn't, and you think I should resign, then I'll resign. I don't care. Cause I, I don't, I don't think it bothers him. I really don't. He's just one of those, just, you know, you can say weird. You can say odd. It's just, he marches to his own drum and it's just who he is. It was definitely not a good thing. 
Um, I think McDonald was going back to the NFL anyway, no matter what. And, and when, why would you not go back to the NFL if you're going to get a D.C. job? Because I think eventually he wants to be a head coach in the NFL. Why wouldn't you want to be that? So that was going to happen anyway. He did, he did a fantastic job defensively. I think, actually, he should have been the, the Burles Award winner, not Gaddis. And that's not minimizing what Gaddis did. I think Gaddis did a great job. But their defense was unbelievable. So at least in the games that got them to the playoff, not so much against you know, the team that won the national title. But you, you very easily could have, could have made McDonald did the Braz Award winner. So that, that was going to happen. Um, Gaddis, Gaddis, I think, had, had, had the way it unfolded not been so ham-handed and had Michigan sh- said, look, you know, we'll talk to you about that if it happens. Right now we just want to keep you as an OC and we'll, we're prepared to give you this raise or that raise. I don't know what happened with that specifically. Um, clearly what Harbaugh did affected what happened coaching was, but he's also one of those guys, Connor, that's like, all right, I'll just get two new guys. It doesn't bother him. It literally doesn't because in his head, he thinks, all right, I'm the guy that's running this ship here. I'll get two guys I trust and we'll move forward. It's bizarre. It, it just is. And it's, it's strange to see the way that this has played out to where like you, you go back and you look at the way that he was really trying to, to send a message to the entire country about what he was trying to build at Michigan and to get to this point to, to have this realization, which I have to think that Georgia was a major part of that and beating Harbaugh's best team like a drum and making him realize, oh yeah, you know what? In the NFL, I spent four years there and I went to a conference championship three times and I went to a Super Bowl and I lost by three points to my brother. I just watched my brother poach my defensive coordinator. Maybe life's a little bit better in the NFL. Harbaugh is is a weird dude. He's been a weird dude at everywhere he's been, and he's going to continue to be a weird dude in college football. I don't necessarily buy this belief that Harbaugh being in college football is like good for the sport. I, I think it's kind of whatever at this point, and I think that that, that window has has closed for him. Hey, um, one, one other guy that I want to uh, ask you about, one other coach. Where and when does Dan Mullen resurface in football? Well, let me, let's see if Bill O'Brien – gets an offensive coordinator job in the NFL. If he does, then I think he probably services as Nick's offensive coordinator. If not, there we go. he takes a year off. If not, he takes a year off and he comes back and, and probably at a lower tier power five job would be my guess. I mean, could it be the SEC? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could. I mean, let's say, let's say Mark Stoops gets a bigger power five job. Something happens and, you know, there's a big power five job out there and, he leaves Kentucky. And I don't know if he would because he really loves it there and they treat him really well. And Why would anybody yeah. do that? If you're Mark Stoops, why would you ever leave Kentucky? But you never know. Like I said, they all have egos. And they all want to prove they can, they can deliver at the, at the elite level. So, I mean, let's just say something like that happens. Would Mullen be a candidate at Kentucky? Sure he would. Um, Louisville fires their coach. Louisville fires Scott Satterfield. They go three and nine. And they fire him. Yeah, he could easily, I could easily see him at Louisville like that. So that type of job, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I would kind of like to see him in this coordinator role for a bit. Kind of see him get back to, to his roots. I kind of like seeing when, when coaches are in that because everything you heard out of Florida was his vision of running a program, like his, his idea of what it takes to, to be able to, to handle recruiting, and that was, that was super well documented. But even stuff like what they were doing with their video series and making video staffers stay way late past hours to to try and become more relatable and like i heard stuff like that that i'm just like what what is he doing and that just doesn't really seem like something that a head coach should be i i think running and his his idea of control was just a very very different thing but 
if he didn't end up at, at Alabama in some capacity, I think I'd be kind of surprised at this point with, with the way the the offensive analyst thing with the the whole coaches uh, the whole coaches rehab. One one last thing here that I want to that would I mean Connor, I honestly ask. that would be I was just saying that would be the best thing for him because honestly it would it would show him the importance of recruiting number one, and I know he knows it, but I mean just the idea of the detail that you have to put into it. And it would show him the importance of, you know, it's more than just calling ball plays. It would be the best thing for him professionally if that happens. Yeah, agreed, 100%. Um, all right, you're in Jacksonville. We talked a little urban earlier. Number one overall pick seems to be all over the place and could be Evan Neal going number one. I even saw the PFF mock that had Charles Cross at number one overall, which is just a bizarre thing. And dig into all that stuff but who's who's the guy that you kind of see at number one overall in some of these mocks that in the city of jacksonville you think to yourself all right that that's that's what i want that's what makes the most sense well i, I think you're gonna get a very good idea of who it's going to be in about uh, i think it's like four weeks three or four weeks when free agency when it when it begins and they have to decide whether they're gonna either tag cam robinson or sign him to a deal they're not gonna sign him to a deal um, my guess would be they might tag him so if they tag him then you're not going left tackle at one. Um, if they tag him, I think their idea then becomes Walker Little, who they picked in the second round, a kid from Stanford, is going to be their left tackle eventually. So if they tag him, they're going to put him at left tackle, and they're going to put Walker Little at right tackle. They'll move Jawan Taylor, uh, the former Florida Gator, from right tackle into guard, and they'll go from there. Um, now, if they, if they don't tag Cam Robinson, they let him go, then I think 100% the first pick his left tackle. Um, and, it's, and it's probably Evan Neal, would be my guess, or, or um, the kid from NC State, or even Charles Cross. Charles Cross, I think, is, a, is, a, is an intriguing guy because of his length, um, because he's got great feet. He's not as, you know, as, as strong and physical as Evan Neal, um, but, man, he's a long guy that has, has, has you know, been in a passing offense now for two years. He gets it. I've had scouts tell me that he's a, a, a like a, potentially like a 12, 13, 14-year guy at left tackle that would just crush in the passing game. Um, so I could see that. I could see. I could also see him going to the top five. I could see three tackles going to the top five, Con. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So if it's not left tackle, I think, I think ideally they'd love to trade back. They'd love for someone else to fall in love with Kenny Pickett or, or, or uh, you know, some other quarterback or even one of the defensive ends that they think they have to have. And then they get multiple picks for it because what they really need is they really need to put uh, offensive weapons around Trevor Lawrence. So their dream is probably for someone to fall in love with a player and they get multiple picks and they don't fall too far back. Um, and then you get a guy like Traylon Burks at like 11 or 12, who is just an immediate deep threat guy that can guy that will be the best receiver on that team. As soon as he steps on the field, um, they need a guy like that. They, I, I think they see what happened with Joe Burrow and they saw what Jamar Chase did for Joe Burrow, and I think they realized they've got to have that. So I don't if, if they don't if they're not looking at tackle and they sign or they tag Cam Robinson, I don't know that they take one of those ends. And I think they do everything they can to try and trade back. Matt, you're the best man. Got anything? Uh, what do you got planned for uh, for first and ten coming up? Your extra points. You got starting. You got all, all sort. You got um, big five coming out like. Got a lot of different stuff going on. What, what's uh, what's next in the works for you? Well, I'm I'm pretty sure it's gonna have something to do with Auburn. 
because <laughs> because this this nonsense is not going to end. I mean, it's unreal. Like the, like the SEC coaches are meeting today, and Brian Harson's there meeting with the SEC coaches. Yeah, he's just sitting here twisting in the wind right now. It's uh, this is going to be a very interesting next week, two, three weeks. Seriously, because if they if they push him out, you're, there are only so many places you can go. And there's only so many coaches that are going to say, yeah, I'll jump into that meat grinder. Let's do that. Not, not only am I going to jump into the idea that I have, to, I have to compete with Nick for, I don't know, let's just say Nick stays for five or six more years. So not only am I going to have to compete with Nick for the duration of my time there at Auburn, I'm also going to have to stay, I'm also going to have to compete in the SEC, which, oh, by the way, is going to get exponentially tougher when Oklahoma and Texas come. And then you're talking about a 16-team league, and then you're talking about a 9 game schedule. Yeah, who's going to jump in for that, right? And then, oh, by the way, you've got three or four puppet masters sitting there trying to tell you what to do and how to run your program. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, man. Great coverage coming from Matt. I know uh, we'll talk uh, We'll talk real soon. Best of luck staying sane. Stay, trying to stay sane okay. amidst all this chaos, man. Alright, brother. Good talking to you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates forced. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out. We're talking Super Bowl today. Rams, Bengals. I'm not crazy smart when it comes to Roman numerals. So I've, I've had to look that up a couple times. I, I, don't, I don't know. Sorry. Am I supposed to be? Why does the NFL force that down our throats? Why, why, why can't we just come up with a number? Oh, I don't care. Yeah, I just call it the Super Bowl every year. That's on them if they want to put Roman numerals in that. Yeah, I'm not about that life. But um, <clears throat> I will be rooting for the Bengals. If I had to pick, I would go Bengals money line. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, I assume, a Joe Burrow Bengals uh, jersey on Sunday, right? I am going to be wearing my, my customized uh, Burrow EAUX jersey. Uh, LSU one. I tried to get one of the big ones once I realized it was $200 and sold out. And I was like, you know, I really already have a Joe Burrow jersey if you think about it. I'll just wear that one. True. Everybody will get it. It's the same thing. Exactly. Like, the same. Whatever, whatever happens in the Super Bowl, I'll wait a couple of months and then grab the patch one when they're all like, you know what I'm saying, when the block is not as hot. You gonna do a Bengals LSU mashup jersey for Burrow? Oh, dude, here's my my one like random Connor thing that frustrates me. Like, you know, you have random things that frustrate you. Mine is non-official jerseys. I hate non-official jerseys. Jerseys like the the camo ones, the jerseys that are like smashed. I can't do it. I gotta have like an official jersey if I'm wearing it. Do you get the the full like the stitched ones as well? Like yes. do you go above and beyond? Because okay. at this point I'm an adult and we've already talked about how it's kinda weird to be an adult wearing a jersey, so you can't be an adult wearing a fake jersey in my opinion. <laughs> That's fair. I, I think the NFL does a pretty good job though of making even the replicas look really good. Yep. That for a while there with the, like the Reebok ones, those weren't as good, but Nike's kinda they've kinda upped it to where now. Like I'm, I'm currently my my Saquon Barkley jersey. Remember, I told there's a little throwback <laughs> to figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like currently getting that that fitted right now at a tailor because it was it was massive. I bought it for twenty bucks. You sent a Saquon a knockoff Saquon jersey. No, no, to it's a not tailor. A twenty dollars Saquon jersey, whatever you want to call it, to a tailor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to a tailor, and I'm just like, you know what? I spent I barely spent any money on this. Mm-hmm. Wasn't not not very expensive at all. Like. I, I don't know, I'll, I'll wait and I'll update everyone on my final bill on what it's gonna cost me. I'm like, I haven't owned a jersey in forever, and I'm kinda hoping 
well, one, that Saquon re-ups with the Giants, which TBD on that. But I kind of hope that he turns into like a Barry Sanders type player. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, then it's validated and you can wear that jersey forever. If he yeah. kind of sucks and flames out, then I just will have to wear it ironically. And the jersey was like, I mean, it was, it was way too big. And I just bought it essentially sight unseen because it's like, well, yeah. Why not? I'm also yeah. not getting a chance to buy this. For 20 bucks, of course, why wouldn't I? But anyways, we don't need to talk about Saquon Barkley jerseys. So I got uh, Super Bowl. Um, so questions for the Facebook group that I asked bar or home. And if home, do you do the thing where you invite friends over? Do you go to somebody else's house? How does that whole thing break down? Um, what is your go-to food or drink? Do you gamble or not prop bets, do all that stuff or just say, you know what? No, I'd rather just watch to watch. And of course, any Super Bowl horror stories. I have a slight Super Bowl horror story, slight. And it's, it might not even be considered that good because Lauren didn't even remember it. Um, I had to kind of remind her, I was like, oh, I definitely have a Super Bowl horror story. Mm-hmm. I think this was six years ago. So 2016, Patriots probably in it or some crap. Um, and we had, we were like, I think we were cleaning the bathroom or something like that right before the start of the game. Game was gonna start in about a half hour. And the, at our old apartment, our first Orlando apartment, and the, the shower rod, it fell. Mm-hmm. That is so unbelievably annoying to get back up. Yep. In so many different situations, unless you have one that's already, you know, it's been maybe it's been drilled in or something like that. But with those temporary ones, you're essentially just trying to piece that thing together, trying any possible way to get it back up to stay. And we could not. I kid you not, I think we spent three hours. I missed, I think, all of the first half of that game trying to put up this stupid freaking shower rod. We have Lauren stay on the phone. He's like, get get like a piece of cardboard, stick it in there so that'll you can wedge it in there or something like that. We tried every possible angle, could not get it to stay up. Just could not. And if you don't have a shower curtain up and it's just out there for, for the world, you're getting your bathroom all wet. You can't wake up and shower the next morning without that. Tell you what, man, a shower curtain is a very important thing to have. And when you don't have it, you know you don't have it. We had, I think we literally had to get somebody from the apartment. This is gonna sound really bad. This is gonna, somebody listening to this is gonna say such a millennial move, whatever, it was hard. We had to get somebody from the apartment complex to come and basically fix the, the, the shower rod and like get it to stay and figure it out for us because three hours, two people with college degrees could not do it. Oh, buddy, that's the one thing I miss about being in an apartment is being able to call someone to get them to fix your broken crap. Anyone right now is listening to this who's in an apartment, call your maintenance people, just call them. Just look around around your apartment right now, find something that's broken, call your maintenance people because I miss that so much. Having something break and knowing that it's your responsibility alone to fix it is terrifying. Oh, it's the worst. And yeah, everything's on Google now. I'm I'm not complaining about it. There are a lot of different ways in which you can figure out what what you need to, to get done, but Man, at that time, there was there was nothing that was working. We watched YouTube videos, everything, and there was no way that th- that thing was going back in. Uh, apparently, I don't even remember what it, what they did to get it to, to stay up there. Some little some little magical spell they put on that sucker, but it was not a fun day. Not a fun day at all. Any Super Bowl horror stories before we get to the Facebook group? I don't have any Super Bowl horror stories. Did I tell you? Did I ever tell you or tell the story on here about the time I went to the Super Bowl in New Orleans? I don't think so. 
This is one of the most chaotic days in my life. So long story short, basically, my mom promised me, there's a, a, a Louisiana saying, right, that everybody has a, had a bet about the Saints going to the Super Bowl for like 40, 50 years. Like, yeah, I'll get you tickets when the Saints go to the Super Bowl because it was never going to happen, right? So me and my mom always grew up joking about, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll get you some Saints Super Bowl tickets too. So we tried to get two, six, tickets to the Super Bowl when the Saints went, right? Well, my school, because I was a bad student, as we discussed, uh, vetoed it because I had too many days, like tardy days. Like literally, they were like, hey, like you can't go what? to this or you're going to have to repeat this grade, I swear. So I was like, crap. So we had to sell the tickets that we had lined up to, or we just, I think didn't purchase them. We were like, we had to get like the, the time off thing. It just didn't happen. So uh, my mom wait, was like, wait, hey, real quick, real quick. That's early February, right? Yes. How I was a horrible already... student. I just told you Whoa. that I would never went to school. What do you mean? Oh my I was gosh. Like, and I also, I got really sick the early, anyway, I missed a lot of time for like an illness. And so they were like, no dude, like you're already kind of pushing it. You can't go to the Super Bowl. So anyway, point being, my mom was like, hey, you know, whatever, you were really excited to go to the Super Bowl. And like, we had a good experience anyway, obviously watching the Saints win, but she was like, I owe you one. I was like, cool. So we decided to go to the one when the when the, uh, the Superdome hosted the Super Bowl, right? So first thing that happened off rip, they sold us seats that didn't exist. So we showed up and we bought them like from the official NFL website, like for the Super Bowl. So we told the lady, we were like, hey, we paid for these tickets, like what's up, like we don't see them. And she's like, oh, they were in like some type of like mezzanine that like wasn't extended. So the lady like upgraded our tickets. She was like, hey, you know what? Boom, you can go sit right there. And so we went from like, oh, like not good seats at the Super Bowl to like really good seats at the Super Bowl because we bought like tickets that didn't exist. So I was like, all right, that was kind of weird, but whatever. So we're sitting there and like the whole section is empty for like the most of the game. And we're just sitting there and like this whole group of people comes in. I want to say about like after halftime and like, they're all like, they look like they're in like Maroon 5 or something. They're like young, attractive, like wealthy looking people. And <laughs> what an observation. They look well, like they're in Maroon 5. Listen, cause here's the, here's the data point. So one dude like takes my shoe, like as he's like walking by, probably like drunk. And I looked up and it was Jeremy Shockey. And oh. I was like, are you serious, bro? And he sits down, I swear to God, this is a real story. He sits down next to me. And I was like, ah, ah. <laughs> and he's Probably like. two pounds of hair gel in there as well. This is when he was playing for the Panthers. So he had the high and tight. And so I was like talking, like talking ball with him. He was, he had just went to Benson's like suite or whatever. So he had just come back. And like, that's why he was gone the whole time. And we were like talking and like, just like BSing the whole game. But when he first sat down, my mom, for whatever reason, is like the biggest Jeremy Shockey fan in the world. And I was there with her. And he, he, right, and like, cause we had a joke about him cause she was like, I wonder what his wardrobe looks like. I wonder what's in his closet. And my mom would just be like, I wonder what Jeremy Shockey's doing today. Cause he was like covered in tattoos, just a very different person from my mom. So she met him and immediately just started word vomiting every Jeremy Shockey question oh my God. she had ever had. She was like, hey, Mr. Shockey, Mr. Shockey, hey. I was like, mom, she, she's here, like to my right. He is to my left. She is like screaming through me at Jeremy Shockey. And the first thing she says, God, I love my mom. First thing she says, she goes, when you guys won the Super Bowl, I didn't take your jersey off for two weeks. Might have been too much. <laughs> nobody, nobody has ever called him Mr. Shockey. In his that, that life. has never happened until that moment. In his life. And so he is, I promise you, this is a real story. I will like, you know, I have pictures of the Super Bowl. And so, and so he's like, oh, okay, ma'am. And like, I literally had to have like a little powwow with my mom. I was like, mom, he thinks we're weirdos. You need to relax. I was like, we're going to be sitting here for a half of a football game. Whatever Jeremy Shockey related questions you want to ask him, get those in. Maybe pick a top three and just like, Spread them out. Don't just, hey, like, what type of hair gel do you use? Like, don't do that. 
<laughs> Jeremy Shockey looks like he could be the third member of Florida Georgia Line. Yes, yes, yes. See, I went with Maroon Five. Florida Georgia Line makes a lot more sense. Wow. Wait, that was the Super Bowl. Uh, I was the Harbaugh Bowl, wasn't that it? That was the lights went out Super Bowl. It was the most yeah. chaotic day of my life. The lights went out. Beyonce performed. It broke the power grid. And when the lights went out, like the Ravens, or sorry, the Niners went on a run, yeah. and like we, it was insane from like start to finish. It, yeah, that sounds fun. That's that's not a Super Bowl horror story. That's an awesome story. No, yeah, it was no, a good time. It was yeah that. Uh, <laughs> can't believe that, but yeah, my mom's an OG for like taking me to that. So shout out to her. Unreal. Unreal. All right. We got a lot of good responses. Saturday on South podcast Facebook group. If you have not joined it yet, you absolutely should. Let's get to this first one. Matthew Cedro. Matthew says, always loved a house party with family or friends, especially when you have dogs in the fight like LSU fans have with Joe and Jamar. Mm -hmm. It makes it easier to focus on the game when you're not out uh, at a bar or restaurant trying to hear or watch with all those distractions. Got to have American staples for the game. Pizza, wings, barbecue, light beer. I recently started throwing down a few small bets on the game each year to make it a little more fun, and it's made the game a lot more enticing. The bar or restaurant for a big time game is never really my main scene mm. because I, I, I like being able to hear stuff. I really do. I, unless you're in a situation, sometimes if it's on the main TV or something and you, and you can hear what's going on, I'm not sitting here saying that I need to hear Gary Danielson or something like that, but I like being able to, to, to not watch a game while it's basically on mute and it's just bar conversation is the noise because I don't feel like I, I fully grasp it. You know, you also never know when it's a replay. That's a dangerous thing too. Very easy trap to fall into if you're at a bar and all of a sudden, like you look away for two seconds, then you look back over. There's mm -hmm. no like you know you don't really process the the noise in the same sort of way. You kind of have to infer whether or not it's a replay. So it, on occasion I will, but for the most part, I, I agree. I think house party is is the way to go. And even you know like we usually, you know, Laura and I just usually kick it here. We've, we've had a very, like very randomly, you know, a couple of friends come over every once in a while. We've done that before and that's that's perfectly fine. And that's kind of nice because I don't feel like the conversation gets to that level where it's like, hey, I have no idea what's going on in the game. I, I want to I be able to watch the game. I like football, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's teams that I don't really particularly care about, Super Bowl, still want to be able to see it. Um, well, where, do you, nothing, where do you land on that? There's nothing worse, right, than trying to watch a big team, a big game that your team is in that yes. is like at a public place with people who don't care as much as you. I, that is my whole, like I've had that happen where it pick a Saints playoff loss. Like I, for a while I went to bars and then I was the guy in the Saints jersey who was like trying to not get memed. Like after like the Minnesota miracle, I was like, I gotta leave. I'm gonna end up on Twitter. Uh, so like point being, I'm I'm with you. I'm more of like, can you guys set up an environment for the people that want to watch the game and like talk about the game and be loud, but like, key in on the game and talk about the game and then kind of another area for people who like just want to be belligerent. That's fine. Like it's, you can have both teams at the same time. When the Bears had their run in 2006, I remember my, my mom wanted to invite a bunch of people over and my dad being, you know, my dad loves, loves my family, of course, my, my late dad. And he was definitely of the mindset of like, I just want to be able to watch the game. I don't want to have to entertain like 12 people or 15 people. He just wanted to be able to sit in his chair Maybe maybe a couple family members come over and instead it turns into this like bigger thing that happens oftentimes with a bigger family, but there's 
there's definitely something to be said for when it's your team being able to actually watch and process. Then again, when your team's getting killed, that's actually <laughs> kind of the best to be out and to be at a place like that. And you don't have to just sit home and sit there in your own sadness. So mm -hmm. it goes both ways. Let's do this one from, oh gosh, Drew Page. Here's a literal horror story. All right. A couple years ago, we were celebrating my best friend's ex's wife's birthday because it was on Super Bowl Sunday. All right, that's very specific. My wife finally got to meet their old fat cat named Cheddar, and he came and chilled oh, with us the go. entire night. If his name wasn't Cheddar, that would have been a mistake. Come to find out the next morning that one of their dogs ended up decapitating the cat that night after we left. So also, what? He, he adds, also, I'm pretty sure I almost fought someone because they got too drunk and got on my nerves. Zero of 10 would not do again. <laughs> Sounds like you know, You know how the other day we said, who are these people who are out here skinning cats? Why is that a phrase? <laughs> Uh, this this dog this dog is is out here not just skinning cats but decapitating cats. That how do you share that information after the fact? How like if you're if you're one of the the friends and this happens in your home, which all right stuff happens. Dogs fight like dogs and cats. The old saying goes. Mm -hmm. Do you then text the people who were there that night and go, hey, just wanted to let you know, dog got to the cat the cat's head is no longer with us. The cat's head is no longer with us. It's such a just text message. <laughs> I think that changes your, the whole vibe how of your does, day. <laughs> how does that go? I, I, I pray I never have to be in that position where I have to inform others of this violence, this rude violence that has occurred at some point in the night. No, thank you. Oh. Well, hey, this is a, a resounding, you know, just next time if you're, Really, you know, if you're drunk and someone else is drunk and you're fighting with them, instead of fighting with them, just steal the cat. And then the cat lives, and then you don't fight someone. True. True. <laughs> and don't skin the cat, because that's not a thing. Don't do that. Justin Lonazak says, watch it at the house with friends, pizza, wings, and beer. No problem with any of those three. Those are welcome on my table any day of the week. Hunter Raglan says, home for sure. Definitely have friends over. Wings are a must. Gamble a little. I'm a Falcons fan. I don't want to talk horror stories. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hunter. He doesn't even get the excuse of, of the Bills getting tortured and getting there every single year of, of the early 90s, of course, because you know as a Falcons fan, you're like, oh man, it's going to be another 20 years before we get back there. That sucks. But maybe they'll draft Matt Corral and then they'll get there and we having a different conversation? Probably not, though. That sucks. It needs um, linemen out there. Anyway, <laughs> just both. Here's a good question. Here's a good question. This this probably depends on the quantity, right? Okay. But if you have if you have friends over, and you have and you have wings, let's let's say you have I don't know 50 wings or something like that. That's that's a normal normal number of wings to be able to get a group of people. I would think. Yeah. Are you going like six or seven your first time through? Six or seven wings? First time through, yeah. Is that aggressive? I feel like, Asking yeah. for a friend. I, no, I actually think for me, see, I'm fat, so I would go six or seven. I'm proud of you for going six or seven, because everyone just thinks I'm fat, so they're like, oh, like a big boy loading up on the wings. I'd probably go six or seven. I, and you can't, you, you can't just take, you can't just take the drums. All right. 
you, you got to be willing to, to get your hands dirty a little bit. You got to take a couple for the team. You can't, you know. People take, being people being pro flats is my favorite opinion in the world because I won't even fight it. Be like, thank God I found someone who likes flats. <laughs> Keep that opinion. Andy Staples just had the video where he showed how to eat a flat, and it's a little twisting technique. To I, I haven't tried it yet, but since watching this video, I need to try it mm -hmm. because Lord knows everybody who has been in that situation, eating flats, and it's just. You know, you're sitting there with two hands, you're, you're kind of struggling, you're struggling, you're struggling. And especially in a situation like that where you're eating in front of people and you got to eat with multiple hands, I am, I am the type of person where, um, this is going to sound bad, if I am at a restaurant with pretty much anybody other than Lauren, I order something that I can eat with a fork. Always. That's smart. That's really smart. I, I subscribe to that theory. Like, I don't want to be self-conscious about... Um, I'm also a beard guy, so I don't want to be self-conscious about like having stuff in my beard as well. Like I, I don't want any, I don't want anybody looking at that, seeing something that maybe I don't notice. A fork, I can control that. That's a I don't know how how I got onto that subject um, when we're talking about wings, but we had we had something similar at a work thing one time where we all ordered fried chicken, and like like five minutes went by. I looked around at everybody at the table. And I said, "All right, we're all in this situation again." <laughs> I was like, right. we could all be savages together, or we could all not eat this chicken and just awkwardly look at each other. I don't know what I'm finna do. I just went I was like, yes, thank you. If you ever watch Top Chef and you watch the way that they'll they'll try and eat a sandwich or something like that, and it's it's Padma and it's Richard Blaze sitting there at a table and they're they're trying to figure out the the way to eat on national TV, and they're all dressed to the nines and stuff, and just not look like a total slob. It's got to be really difficult. It's got to be really difficult, especially when they get wings or pizza or something like that. Something that's going to be maybe a little bit messier. But, anyways, um, yeah, that's I, apparently that's something that I think about a lot. Didn't even realize I did. Chris Sahor. Chris says, at home with friends or family is the only way for me. However, if your team is in the big game, there is absolutely nothing worse than watching with someone who watches football once a year, but talks the whole time. I'd rather watch alone in that case. Yep. It can be unavoidable too. Mm -hmm. I, like, I've been in spots like that. I'm not gonna name names. I've been in many, many a spot like that. And especially doing this, doing this job, this, this career, to where now like they'll say something and then they'll kind of turn to you <laughs> and they'll, they'll want your take and they'll want you to piggyback off something that they said that made absolutely no sense and you don't want to be mean and set them straight and so then you spend the entire time thinking about what they're going to say to you i've realized this I, i'm obviously very self-conscious my brain does not process normal things <laughs> in the way that it should mm -hmm. Uh, but Chris, you're you're right. There's something to be said. Just be nice about it. Don't be, don't be rude. They're just trying. They're just trying to enjoy themselves and have fun. But yeah, it does kind of suck. That's where you get that mm -hmm game on, or that's where you do like the whole list of Twitter memes. Like I'm I'm done arguing with y'all. Just be wrong on your own. It's like okay, buddy. I'm fine. I'm gonna start agreeing with you. I realized when I was a kid and I would watch sports with my dad. Sometimes he would just give me the simple mm -hmm mm -hmm. response. I was probably saying some stuff that was off the wall. I thought he was just agreeing with me the entire time. It built up my confidence for a really long time, but here you effective. are. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. Something to be said for it. Krista Kissinger says, usually at the house with a few friends, since it's definitely uh, NFLSU, 
oh yeah, she can buy an NFL, LSU. Loving uh, that in real time. Love React. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it's that kind of game, we are throwing a party. Always have to have Super Bowl squares. The menu consists of lots of chips and dips. Hawaiian roll sliders. Krista, yes, you get it. Absolutely. Boudin and sausage. Picking up Chick-fil-A on Saturday. Can't do it on Sunday. Please Don't make pronounce that, that word again. <laughs> I say this every time I order from Tibby's. And I've yet Tibby's to be corrected. so good, dog. Oh, my. Okay, you're back on board because Tibby's is very good. Boudin. 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 Imagine your coach ordering some boudin. Boudin. There you go. You did it. Why did they choose that vowel? Why is it with an I? It's French. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. I messed, I, I messed that one up for a long time. Thank you for correcting me. I need to be corrected on all things Cajun. That we know. Now that I can't do the coach of voice anymore, I really just I have to pull it out whatever I can. <laughs> uh, we got... Oh, also beer, wine, margs. Ooh, that's, that's quite go. a cool menu. Yeah, just get it all out there. Cookie mm -hmm. cake and cupcakes. Love me some cookie cake. Cupcakes, uh, I can take them or leave them. More of a festive decorative type of thing. Uh, Krista says go Bengals and wit and OBJ. Super Bowl squares. Used to do them every single year without fail, no matter what. Tried to do them freshman year in college. Ended up being one of those situations where some people paid, most people didn't pay. It gets kind of awkward. I didn't want to have to collect it or deal with that anymore at all. It seems like a headache. The poker game that I play Thursday nights. This guy um, that, I, that I play with, we play at his house. He has been selling these squares 25 bucks a pop since September, like October, mm -hmm. for a long time. This, this cash pool is gonna be significant. I have a square, I'm going to be, so, by the time people are listening to this, I will probably have maybe purchased another square. We will see. Mm -hmm. I love squares. You talk about getting, like, I guess so technically I, I do gamble on Super Bowl then if that's considered gambling, but. On the Lord's Day? <laughs> I think that's I think that's a fun way to go about it. And if you can do it with like pretty low stakes and stuff, if you're gonna be at a, a viewing party or something like that, there's 15 people, you have to be organized with it. And it's almost one of those things you have to do ahead of time. But I love that because you get to root for random scores. You're like sitting on, you know, it's not necessarily team dependence on like, oh, I need I need the Bengals to, to, to win now or something like that. And your night could still, you could still have a lot of possibilities, even if it's a blowout. That's mm -hmm. a good thing about that as well. So squares is definitely my my favorite type of gambling with the Super Bowl. Are you a big squares guy? No, I've honestly never done it. I feel like we were more like a college football household, just like plus the Saints growing up. So yeah, I don't know. I, I probably didn't get into it though. I heard good things. We uh, yeah, we used to, like my mom used to organize it back in the day. You got to draw randomly to come up with the the total amounts mm -hmm. at the end that you, that you put across the top. Like the guy that I'm doing with said that he'll be, he'll be streaming it live to make oh, sure that everybody go. knows Bro, drop cheating. the link, what do you mean? This, this is a real, yeah, this this is the most like real deal squares pool that I've been a part of. And somebody listening to this is saying, oh, 25 bucks a square isn't that much. Well, it's a lot for me. So, so yeah, right. come on now. <laughs> Let's start with this one from Alex, Alex Nassif. Alex says, it's always been at my house or friend's house with a bunch of food. Some dishes I've made are buffalo chicken mac and cheese. Ooh, and KC style ribs. But this year with my Rams in it, going to the bar I go to for every Rams game to watch with my fellow Rams friends. I don't know if there are many of you Rams friends. First Rams fan I've found. Hey, go. I don't know what y'all say. Charge on Ram? I don't know. 
that's got to be the Chargers thing, right? I would, I would They're think. also identityless. I don't know. Yeah, I could not tell you. Love the uniforms. Hey, that's also nice. Rams fire. Yeah. I, I would wear the crap out of some Rams gear. If, mm-hmm. if they win the Super Bowl, I'd be buying all the Rams Super Bowl gear. That would be that would be uh, something that I'd be all over for sure. But that kind of goes against our, our thinking earlier, right? If it's your team, don't go to the bar. Yeah, if it's your team, be at a place where you feel like you can watch it. But the good news is he's going to be going to the same bar that he goes to for Rams games. So he's got it figured out. Oh. You're not going to have to be telling your the bartender. Your team bar is the place to be. Because if you get blown yes. out, you're all miserable together. That's actually the move right there. That is the move, 100%. You're, you're in a situation where you're not going to necessarily, and you're, you're going to be surrounded probably by a lot more people. And that's probably going to be the biggest annoyance more than anything else. But you're not in a situation where you have to like figure out, oh, where's the best spot that we could sit and find a good TV? Or, oh, we got to tell this, you know, this server to go put on this game at this TV. I am that guy, by mm-hmm. the way, always. Of course. That. Well, we were, yeah, well, we were, when you were here in Orlando, we were with your guy Brady. And I'm like, hey, uh, I have a menu sure? of these eight different televisions I'd like to <laughs> see right now. I'm like, all right, like, that's great that we got Arkansas, Georgia on the big screen right there. But like, what do I have to do to be able to get this Tennessee Mizzou game up on that TV right there. Can we make that happen? And the guy like spends five, six minutes looking for SEC Network only to find out that he doesn't have it. I'll never know if I don't ask though. Of course, right? Thanks. That's what you gotta do. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Hope everybody enjoys Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Next figuring out that we're gonna be doing, and I'm saying this as a reminder to anyone that this might impact, Valentine's Day. Ooh, that would be day of our next podcast consider that your reminder to go out and buy your significant other valentine's day present if you don't do it at least acknowledge that it's valentine's day you have to do that you can't just not say or do anything i think maybe you can but that's what we'll be talking about next time in figuring it out thank you to everybody who submitted responses in the saturday down south podcast facebook group like i said go subscribe to our newsletter for basketball bluechipgrit.com a lot of great coverage all things arkansas big victory against auburn earlier in the week a lot of fun to be able to see that adam has that crush we have so many different things going right now uh the youtube channel is is popping go subscribe to that as well saturday down south on YouTube. Um, If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. If you have not already, join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.